I'm Kevin. I'm John B. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Kevin, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I think this is my first time. Uh, I, I know this is my first time, so I'll probably introduce myself. I'm Kevin Hainline. Uh, I'm an astronomer and a research professor at the University of Arizona, where I work on JWST, the Next Generation Space Telescope that was launched last Christmas. I, I work on the main camera and have spent the last many, many months getting ready for the telescope to be done. I, I'm not sure if I misremembered who the – are you also the person who narrated the Kaizo Mario video? Oh, uh, thanks, John, for uh, revealing my deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> uh, when I was in graduate school at the University of California, Los Angeles, uh, as a fun lark, I put my voice over a Japanese Kaizo video uh, that I titled Super Mario Brothers Frustration. Uh, it then became – stupidly popular on the internet and it is a thing that will haunt me until i die it is the thing i get the most twitter dms about it is the thing that the only reason why people follow me on twitch it is a thing that i like i have a video i made about jwst that i'll plug i guess at the end of the <laughs> that uh every comment is wait are you the super mario frustration guy oh did you do the accent in that video <laughs> i did the accent i can do it right now if you if you want so no for, no you, it's just like it's just very appropriate that you did it for both mario and a telescope <laughs> well no in the, in the in the jwst video i did not i was just oh, oh straight okay. up kevin being enthusiastic but uh that character uh who is retired i will not trot him out for other videos no <laughs> yeah, matter no, no. how much no, no I... need no need we'll just we'll just paste it in yeah exactly uh but uh but yeah every once in a while on twitch someone will i'll be in a good mood and i'll, I'll do the character for them and like record their answering machine message so that no people <laughs> can recognize they're like who is this person who is answering the message cursing me and you know in a new york accent that's very good. You said people left comments. Did they recognize your voice without the accent? Yes. Yes. That's incredible. I don't I could not do that. Like I, I have a very vivid audio memory, audiation, and I can picture that voice in my head. Uh and I I didn't I wouldn't recognize it. I wouldn't recognize you without it. It's it's an interesting thing. Like I, I can walk my way from this voice to all right, Nintendo, we're gonna do this. Oh, you no, said Mario. you weren't gonna do it. <laughs> See, and I just I Esper, like, you know I, what to do. I think that Jim was kind of hinting that he wanted to hear the voice, and I, I, I obliged. Oh, okay, I mean, <laughs> if if we we can we can allow this, but I wasn't asking for it. If you if you'd rather, I remove that. No, 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 no. It's it's fine. I I. It's just funny. The way that I introduced myself in this show was I'm a NASA astronomer, a professor of science working on a space telescope. And your immediate question was, wait, did you do this Mario video in grad school? <laughs> right, right. Well, that was because of a conversation we had where I was pretending to be your grandpa. I forgot the <laughs> oh. details. I know we I know we had a thing before when I – some Twitter thing. But I also wasn't sure if it was someone else who worked on a different telescope. That's why I had to ask. Ah, uh, no. It is it is me working on this telescope, and I also made Super Mario Brothers frustration. Yes. Uh, which would you like to talk about the telescope? Oh, it's it's fine. It's a good telescope. Uh, Great. I, <laughs> Everything's gone swimmingly with it. Shockingly, so. yeah. It's been really it's been really incredible. Uh, we are very very happy on the team that it works the way that it does. And the instrument I work on, which is the main camera, Nearkin. Most people have seen images from the camera. Like it's working better than we could ever have hoped. Like it's working better in many ways than it was when we were testing it on the ground. It's just a it's a really incredible telescope. And as someone who's been looking at a lot of images from it as we do a lot of testing, I am over the moon. Literally. 
Yeah. Literally <laughs> over the moon. A million miles, uh, four <laughs> times over the moon. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited because it, a lot of people have heard of the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Well, I'm, I'm working on this, this survey called Jades, which yeah, is – Suck it, Hubble. Yeah, exactly. It's the better version of that that will come out like – you know, we'll get the data in like September, October. And that is just going to really, I don't know, answer a bunch of science questions we've had for decades. And that's, that's super thrilling. Yeah, I'm pumped. I don't even know what the questions are, but I want the answers. Yeah, exactly. Who cares about the questions? The answers are more exciting anyway. Yeah. Kevin, is your new favorite NES game LaGrange Point? <laughs> it's always been one of my – I actually – I don't know if, what LaGrange Point is. Is LaGrange Point a shooter? Is it a shmup? It sounds like a, sh- a shmup. According to Hardcore Gaming 101, it is one of the most technically advanced RPGs on the Famicom. Ooh, I, I was unaware of, of the existence. I, I think it's a visual novel. Oh. I think it's – yeah, but the – the thing about it is that it had a lot of uh, graphics ROM and it had a unique um, – like a, a, an audio chip that was u- used in no other NES game. So I saw a YouTube video of someone who went th- painstakingly went through to try and quote-unquote correct the various proprietary audio chips in the Nintendo. Like they were they were like, oh, look at this sawtooth. It's not, a, it's not a perfect sawtooth. It has all these wiggles. And then when they corrected <laughs> it, they'd play the corrected version and it always sounded worse. And it I sounds was, I was bad. Like, yeah, no, like – you don't want a pure sawtooth like that. That has all these weird aliasing artifacts. Yeah, it, it was just. It sounded like kind of. It, it it took the kind of fun edge off of it. It's like when those like those Super Nintendo they recreated the songs where they were like, oh, this is what the actual samples should sound like. So they kind of bypassed the whole SNES sound chip, and it just sounded weird. And like you're like, no, I, I that doesn't sound like what it should. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. As I recall, there was a um, there was a song from a track from one of the Donkey Kong Country games. That had like the sound of it was like a roller coaster, and it had the sound of people screaming in the background. <laughs> and in the the remaster where they used the original sample of people screaming, it's just this blood curdling <laughs> <laughs> shriek. That- <laughs> That'll show up. Take that, Donkey Kong. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, no, you, you definitely you need to band limit your uh, your oscillators. That's yes. that's a real thing. I mean. Anything for content, I guess. That's you know, people are going to try and fix Nintendo. We're, we're too far away. These these youngsters, these these Zoomers, they they think they can do better than us, but no. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot like the CRT effects and dithering and stuff. The famous Sonic waterfall and all that. Yeah. Also, just like you know, the the, the fact that when you when you do things at, at like its native resolution or whatever, uh, it, it doesn't look like what the artist designing the game designed it to look like yeah where, you know you look at those final fantasy sprites that look like garbage and then you look at them on a crt and you're like oh that's the prettiest thing i've ever seen yeah well, <laughs> what's the twitter account that does those comparisons you would know you're the biggest crt head i know i, I, I do have four of them here behind <laughs> including an, an hd widescreen one for Ooh. some reason yeah i moved it myself uh i think i injured myself doing so yeah it's probably the heaviest thing known to man <laughs> <laughs> pretty much uh, John, did I already ask you if you introduced yourself, or, or to introduce yourself, rather? Uh, the real Lordheads know who I am. Everybody on the Discord knows who I am. That's that's, that's true. You've, <laughs> you've been on the show several times, and you are very active on the Discord. Yep. That's <laughs> another place to shitpost. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> is it, is it, are fans of the show Lordheads? Not Lordos or Lordy Lords or something. Now they are. Like that that wasn't a term that existed before thirty seconds ago, but Yeah. 
Uh, as for anything to plug, I mean, I'm just a, a, your average private citizen who doesn't make much except ship posts in the Discord. But I forget if I plugged it before, but 3D, the just, you know, 3D entertainment, pretty good. People crap on it a lot. <laughs> I've been enjoying it. I just played uh, Ocarina of Time 3D, which is the first time I've played Ocarina of Time through again in, uh, I don't know, 10 years, something like that. Oh, that yeah. port rules. Yeah. It I was- really like that port. The port of Majora's Mask, like they changed a bunch of the weird physics and like the way that the Zora swimming works. And it's really frustrating. Like also the Deku momentum is all busted, but the port of Ocarina of Time is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing through it, I was like, okay, I see the little tweaks they made, but it's still the same game. Mm-hmm. Like it's very yeah. much still the same game. They borrowed the, uh, the boots animation from Wind Waker or whatever <laughs> when you make the boots an item instead of just gear. Oh yeah, and, but yeah, I heard that right. the changes to Majora's Mask were fairly extensive, like an enemy behavior and puzzles and all sorts of those things. Like the Deku momentum that I brought up is is when Link would hop on Deku on the water, yeah. he would like hop in a certain way, and because they like stop his momentum like in a weird way, it makes all of the hopping in that game so much harder so much harder and it's unnecessarily so it's not a thing where like that was something where i was like man this is too easy hopping on this it was just like why did you futz with this yeah one of the few things that would make the game harder i think from the changes i read about yeah all right nintendo portable remasters are now the first topic instead of (laughs) the uh one we, we had planned i just found out that there is a emulator mod that exists solely to add analog stick support to Mario 64 DS. I saw that you had tweeted about that, and I went and downloaded the mod, which is, like, it's something where you expect it to be very straightforward, but it requires both downloading a new emulator, downloading an action pro-action replay code, figuring out what the version of the ROM is that you're using yeah. so that you can apply it. But once you get yeah. it all running, it rolls. It was super, super great. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It took me, like, 20 minutes, half an hour to get the mod actually working. Um, some of that time was spent like tweaking the graphics settings, but like once it's up and running, it plays like a 3DS game, which is the 3DS would have been much so, so much a better platform for that remaster. And I actually really like Mario 64 DS. Like the changes they made to that game, to the original game, are really good. Like they fix so much of the jank in both the game mechanics and the level design. Oh, like they, they remove a lot of the worst content from the game and replace it with better stuff and add more better stuff on top of that. Like just, it's, it's just great. And, but the original game is the one that keeps getting ported to all the new systems. Like you can get Mario 64 for the, for the Switch and the Wii U and the Wii, and you can't get this game for anything. You can get it on Wii U. It is on. Right. It is for another uh, few months or so on the Wii U shop. Do you have to play it with your finger with the on D-pad? the Wii U yeah. pad? No, you. Uh, does... Yeah, you can use the D pad or the stick, but the stick, of okay. course, will right. just act like a D pad. Oh, and that's probably still better. Yeah, I've actually. I know people, and I don't think I don't know if I've popped it in on my 3DS, but I know people. Even though the circle pad just behaves as a D pad, um, it feels better. It doesn't yeah. doesn't actually change anything about you know how it reads your input or whatever, but. Yeah. That game at the very start does such a strange thing where it's like, here's Mario coming out of the pipe. You're really excited and raring to go. Oh, wait, is it Wario? Is that Luigi? And you're like, what? And then you start as friggin' Yoshi. And it's the very weird. Yeah. Like... It's a rug pull that. <laughs> yes. They, they never would have done that if that was the original version of the game. No. Like on the N64. I, I think the only reason they did that was to surprise the people who were 
who were expecting to get just the original version of the game. Yeah, it's rare to have a game, it's remaster be in direct conversation with the game it's remastering like that. It's, yeah. it's really strange. Yeah. There's also new yeah. levels, right? There's like extra levels. Like yeah, there's a considerable whole amount of new content, yeah. New boss fights and stuff. Yeah, there's. I know like in the uh, the place where you go down the prin- princess's secret slide or the secret slide or whatever, there's another level where you fight like a big Goomba and stuff. Yep. Yep. I only played through it once. It's been a while, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, and I, I also had only played it once, um, whereas I have played Mario 64, the original, dozens of times. And so... I, I guess this is my plug for this week. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to end up doing more with this, but I have recorded 15 episodes of a, of a Let's Play oh, wow. of uh, Mar- Mario 64 DS. I, I, I've, been, I've been cutting it off like one per star. Cool. Uh, so it's about an hour of gameplay, but broken up into 15 episodes. And I'm going to release old style YouTube. Yeah, right. I'll be releasing one a day until I get sick of it, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the first episode comes out tomorrow as the as we record. So by the time this this episode comes out of Topic Lords, you'll know whether or not I went through with recording more <laughs> or if I just left it at that. By the time you're reading this, he may be sick of it already, folks. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The only video I I also have an abandoned Let's Play on my uh, YouTube, formerly Google Video account, merged into oh, merged into my YouTube account when uh when it went there. My gaming YouTube account has a bunch of Let's Plays of my entire playthrough of Bloodborne and then my first playthrough of Dark Souls. And then I decided I did not want to play any of the From Software games live in front of other people again. And now I <laughs> play them greedily at home, like where I can get frustrated uh, in private and not have other yeah. people popping into Twitch streams to ask me about Mario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those games are stressful enough. And also, there's a lot of judgment. Like, you, if you come in and you're not doing well, people will offer unsolicited advice and then like judge you based on your, you know. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was playing Dark Souls on Twitch, and I was like, I don't know, I was in the undead parish, mm-hmm. and someone in chat referred to me as a cutie newbie. <laughs> was it your son? <laughs> this was before I had a son, so no. Did they say QT the the letters, or did they spell it out? I don't think. I think they spelled it out. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to disappoint. No, no. I, I actually think that's that's cuter. Yeah. Well, and this is after I was like sitting there with like while well, I'm sitting over my my pile of souls that I was unable to collect because I had my shield up, and I was like, why can't I get my souls? Ugh. Oh man, it is. Uh, those games. I I finished Elden Ring recently, and when I when I finish Elden Ring or any From Software game, I immediately uninstall it to just get it out of my system, to just get it out because literally, it's like a, yeah, I, it's yeah, oh. so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> I still haven't played through Demon Souls, and I've had it for years. In terms of 3D remasters of Nintendo games, uh, I'm still mad they never ported any Virtual Boy games to the 3DS. Yeah, that's a yeah, how did that how did that not happen? There's some good well, ones. I I know how, but it's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that that references Virtual Boy outside of like I think, you know, like Virtual Boy games is that there's a WarioWare twisted mini game that is uh, Mario Clash, I think. Yeah, that was in the first WarioWare too. You're right, you're right. It was. Um I should know. I am one of the speedrunners of both WarioWare and WarioWare Twisted, so I'm intimately <laughs> familiar. You know, and there's there's some good that the Wario game in on the um on the Virtual Boy is fantastic. The Mario game is fine. Uh, there's a Waterworld game, which I yep. think is one of the greatest failures on a failure platform of all time. Like it's really, 
it's it's a terrible game uh and i'm uh, not not at fun in any way shape or form but i i own it just to have like this real encapsulation of, of a specific period of time but nintendo never never really went and put those out i don't know how they would do it because they'd have to be very red and i don't know if they're really willing to do that unless they you know do what they do with a lot of their remasters where they kind of upgrade the graphics like speaking of warrior where there are like the warrior gold which is a collection of a lot of their best games so it's kind of a remaster of a lot of the other games it loses a lot of the charm of the original games because it's you know just kind of their modern art style and not the very very charming pixel art style of the of the warrior games yeah i've been playing i've been playing that off and on i bought it a while ago and i've been trying to finish some of the missions in it here we go talking about warrior again this I'm always talking about WarioWare <laughs> on this show. It just keeps coming up. Um, and the fact that I brought Kevin on doesn't help. <laughs> nope. Nope. I love WarioWare. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. I, I like some of what they did with that. Speaking of remasters that are in conversation with their original version, like, yeah, WarioWare. WarioWare has been in conversation with itself from the very first game. Yep. It's in conversation with every Nintendo. It is one of their great, uh, like, idea mills like they just they just i get a bunch of these game designers in a room and say like what can you do given one button what can you do given a rotation sensor what can you do given a touch screen and i think that that's like you know that that same group that are the group that did rhythm tengoku and the rhythm heaven games which are some of the greatest games ever made also and i just it's you know like i i, I just i think that that type of game design is like my favorite type of game design which is like let's just throw everything at the wall and see what happens it's, yeah yeah you know. i love that stuff yeah. yeah i played um i think i played rhythm heaven fever mm-hmm. uh-huh and i was really impressed by like just by how you would play a, a mini game for five minutes and it would just like you just learn a song and learn the mechanics just by playing it mm-hmm. and it it felt like really really satisfying and then I never bought – there was like a – there was the most recent uh, the Rhythm Heaven game yep. uh, I think was like a like a, a collection. Yep, on the 3DS. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another digital only release. Get on it before it goes away. It's really, really good. If you want to get into any Rhythm Heaven, that's like a great I can't use a credit card anymore. Yeah. But if you have a Switch, you can just add money on your Switch. That's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> even if after you can't add it directly in August on the systems themselves, even with an eShop card, you should still be able to top up your account if they're linked. They should just let me play it on the Switch too. Yeah, no oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. That Rhythm Heaven game features my favorite Rhythm Heaven mini game of all time, which is Rhythm Rally. This like you're like a dog and a cat and a pair of planes doing badminton back and forth, and I just think it's <laughs> so joyful and it has this. Bah, 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 yeah, bah, 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 bah. I think it's so good. It's just oh, Rhythm Heaven. There are a lot of good ones. <laughs> I remember I I demoed that game before it came out at Comic Con, and uh, that was one of the three or so games on the list. And yeah, that was a great one. Are we, are we ready to start on some topics? Yes, please. I, Get I us away so. from Nintendo. I think that's a good, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin, your topic is reading the other headlines slash articles on newspapers and films that flash on screen solely for the headline. Yeah, I I last week I was in Baltimore for mission operations stuff duty. I had overnight shifts and I was bored before one of my shifts because it started like midnight. So I, uh, I watched Batman Forever and I... Uh, because I was just watching it by myself, I was able to do something that I don't do around my wife because she thinks it's obnoxious, uh, which is that I like pause the movie to uh, like look at something 
Uh, and like, look at, like, I just, and, and this was a, a moment when they flashed a, a headline that said, Batman survives subway sabotage. And I was like, really, you know, able to pause it and read that the secondary headline, you know, it says like Two-Face robs Enigma Tech Party. But then there's a little article next to it that says, Prodigy Child wins every award given, which I think is a really <laughs> great headline. And then the, the subject of the article is, he has a friend who is a sheriff's deputy. <laughs> And his former pastor works for the police department, he said. And I just thinking about this child, this child prodigy who wins every award and has a friend who's a sheriff's deputy and another <laughs> friend who works for the police department. Like, I, I think that if you are a graphic designer for a film, you generally don't expect people to read the rest of the newspaper. And, and like, often they, they, they can't because it just happens too fast. But in an era now where everything is yeah. possible... They have to expect it now. Exactly. I went and found there's there's like you know various Twitter accounts uh, and 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 tumblers and stuff that just show newspapers from films. Like there's a Batman Returns one. Penguin forgives parents. I'm fully at peace with myself and the world. And the sub headline is linked to scandal by Navy zealots. Ex Admiral says. And I just I think it's so fun to find these things where like you can read the article to discover that someone has like thought well maybe maybe they'll read the first sentence but not the rest of it and you can see they'll just like repeat it entirely or it'll segue very quickly into just nonsense or it'll be written like a third graders book report i i I think it's really fun and i think that pausing movies to look at these things is uh, one of my favorite things yeah in the most recent uh season of better call saul there's two like three second shots of um the the veterinarian slash uh hookup guy uh his his black book uh-huh. uh and it's it's encoded it's like in some sort of cipher yeah and you can just kind of you can just barely like it's not even straight on shots they're like angled but they took the care to like make sure it actually said something for if you decoded it and it's a simple cipher but uh you know Someone put some effort into making that Easter egg and other people put effort into figuring it out. It's neat. <laughs> I was watching the film Let Them All Talk, which is a Steven Soderbergh movie that was made during the pandemic. I think it was during the pandemic, like on a cruise ship. They were like, well, we'll just get, we'll just get Meryl Streep and Candace Bergen and, you know, Diane Weist on a cruise ship together. As you and do. There's a mo- yeah, as you do. And there's a moment where they're playing Scrabble. And I had to pause it uh, again. This was with my wife uh, who just hates when I do this. I had to pause it because the way that they showed the Scrabble board for like one split second shot is like two islands of words that they're just Mm -hmm. like building off of, which is not how Scrabble works. And then they show them (laughs) in another scene playing like Clue. And it's just two people. It's Diane Wiest and I think Candace Bergen playing Clue. And they're playing Clue which is not a two-person game and they have set up like four or five of the characters playing it so it's as if they're playing it a two-person a game that i don't think you can play with two people with five people but they're playing each person multiple people i just i like the idea of like them being like well just set it up it's fine for the for the for the shot and like it's just yeah this is this is like this would be under the goof section under character errors made by characters it's just a little Easter egg. These guys, these guys don't know how to play Clue. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that like goof section thing is is kind of tedious, and I, I hate to be a person who who points it out. But it also is just very funny because it it implies that like the person who set this up didn't think at all about like oh how would people actually be playing this game or how would this actually work and like maybe it is and maybe maybe they did think about that and thought no no they just Diane Weist cannot her character cannot play Clue and so like yeah. Like if I were making a big budget movie and I were tasked with like I don't I don't know what what role I would be filling here, but 
if I if it were my job to make sure it was a good Scrabble game, I would go get like a Scrabble expert and ask them to come up with a really funny, like what what kind of board layout would make like a Scrabble pro, like a champion player look at and say, that's a funny Scrabble grid. Yeah. Or what would it, what would it, if you wanted to make a joke uh, that only the people who are paying attention to the movie were like, wow, one person is doing a lot better at Scrabble than the others. Like you could imagine having like a series of very long words and then very short words connecting them. And like, yeah. you know, it would be, it'd be, a, it'd be a good reference to the, for the audience to go like, oh, this is how these two characters are, right? Like there's that in uh, Crazy Rich Asians, they play uh, Mahjong at the end. And I saw a video where a Mahjong expert said like, actually this Mahjong game perfectly represents the relationship and discussion that the characters are having. Like it's a really good <laughs> encapsulation of the film. And I thought that's that's the extra level. That's someone going beyond, you know, just being like, well, Scrabble's a thing where they put tiles on a board. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I know for a long time, uh, a while, I was definitely looking at all the chess boards and movies because I learned how to play chess and I was watching a lot of movies at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I, I linked it in chat, but there's there's a website called Chess in the Cinema that is devoted to, you know, just showing the appearances. And, you know, yeah, was there an example that you found of like, this chess board gives me an insight into this character. Um, it, I've never seen any, I've never been able to read it that deeply, like, you know, style of play or whatever. Um, but I, right. but I did like try to look and see if the position actually made sense in the game because it's very right. easy to throw chess pieces on a board that, and make it an impossible board or something that would never play out if people knew what they were actually playing. But, yep. but I did want to give a, um, a mention to the movie Queen of Cotway, which is a movie about chess. <laughs> It's about a chess prodigy, a young girl in um, Uganda who goes on, who comes from poverty and ends up becoming a chess wizard. But her the, her mentor, the character in the film, uh, it's based on a real story, actually based on an article that was in Sports, uh, was it, no, ESPN magazine, I think. It was a Disney movie, so there was some synergy there. But yeah, the her actual mentor was the chess advisor on the film. And if you watch the film and you know anything about chess, you can look at the positions on the board and determine, oh, yep, that's... That's right. Queen's Gambit was similar. They they were accurate to chess. <laughs> this website yep. you have does not have it looks like Queen of Cotway on it. Uh it does not, huh? I could yeah, it doesn't look like it does. I think it came out in twenty sixteen and that's not on there. It does have Chappie and I wanna lean across to my <laughs> girlfriend and say that's Chappie's chess game. <laughs> yeah, right now. Wow. When I see Chappie's chess game on screen. Is it really not on there? That's crazy. Hmm. Well you can add it. I could add it. Is there an opening named after Chappie? <laughs> the chappy opening though there is a bong cloud opening but uh... <laughs> uh not to bring it back to nintendo but also when people play video games in, in movies i remember watching i yeah. think beethoven the film beethoven and there's a scene <laughs> where two players are playing super mario brothers at the same time and one of them is playing with uh, uh the uh glove the power glove and i just have yeah. always thought that was a really fun little moment as a child to be like wait that's not how it works you can't play at the same time and you wouldn't want to play with that controller which <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've always been, I guess, uh, a jerk. That, yeah, that movie just turned thirty recently. Hooray! My favorite example of that sort of thing in filmmaking is from the wrestler, yeah. where apparently they uh, commissioned uh, a game developer to actually make a like a not a not a full game, but like a playable scene from a game, so that the the, the actors could actually play a game and play a match against each other in the wow. in the movie. 
Can you imagine like getting your game development team together to make a game that will only ever be played by like what a, a person in a film like and then people will just make fun of it from here on out because it like you didn't have the time or resources potentially to make it that good unless maybe it's good I don't know I haven't seen the wrestler. Well the thing about making a um just a tiny slice of a game like that that's that's only going to be shown in uh static media is that you can take so many shortcuts. <laughs> like you don't need to debug it. Yeah, ever. that's true. Like you can just like if it crashes, just just run it again. And don't do the thing you did last time. <laughs> and you you can just like this is blue sky. Just yeah. build out a feature that would never work in a real game and never have to worry about finishing it. So okay, maybe it was maybe it would be more fun than yeah having to like deal with actually human beings playing it and then complaining. Review bombing you on Steam. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I would I would love to see the Steam reviews for the Wrestler mini game. <laughs> Ten thousand hours would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we, are we ready for another topic? Yes. Uh, John, your topic is the Game Boy Camera slash revisiting the PXL two thousand topic and other toy cameras slash tech. We keep trying to get away from Nintendo, and it's not. It's just not going to happen this episode. I'm not sorry. with us. No, nope. I, I mean I, I deliberately only put one of your game topics here in this episode, <laughs> but then but then we just stumbled into the other one. That's fine. We're three white dudes on a podcast talking in accents, talking about Nintendo. <laughs> I, I met John through because of Nintendo, so there's a long history. <laughs> yes, there is. So anyway, yeah, the give a care. Uh, I forgot uh, all the details about the topic, Jim. You talked about the PXL 2000 on a previous mm-hmm. episode, like a hundred years ago. It was a while ago, roughly. Yeah, and I forget what trade but yeah, the Game Boy Camera, a delightful little device. My first digital camera, because it was the only one that was like under $100 back then. Right. I own two Game Boy cameras, one of which is the one that I had from my like high school, like when I got it, or junior high, whenever I got it, and has still photographs of like my family and me from childhood. Yeah. And the other one I bought in college to make a movie with. Uh, and so, and it has pictures of me from college because I couldn't find the first one, I guess. Uh, and like, I also own multiple devices designed to remove photographs from the Game Boy camera. The, right. uh, did you did you pick up a BitBoy? Uh, yeah, a version of that. It's it's something that's not called a, it's not the BitBoy, but it's a it's a different thing made by the, the same guy. Okay, that was going to be my question. Was like, how do you get your camera? Actually, does this thing you said you did it to make a movie? Yeah. Does it record video? How much video can it record? No. So, so when I was in college, I took a film class. I took a bunch of film classes. I like I, I my focus in the humanities was 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 film. Uh, this is going to sound really insufferable. I apologize to anyone who's like this guy sounds like a real hipster shithead. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. You can cut it's, that out if you need to. It's fine. Uh, We're rated E for explicit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, my, the professor said, you need to make a film, but you're not allowed to rent the cameras that we've been using. You have to make it using something that is not the typical digital cameras that we, you know, film cameras. So I took a Game Boy camera and I plugged it into the Super Game Boy and I plugged that into a Super Nintendo and I plugged that in through a VCR attached oh, to a sure. television so that I could record live what was on the Super Game Boy so that I could take that put it into Final Cut Pro and then cut out the borders and therefore have, you know, a live, like, you know, in whatever frame rate. And the frame rate's variable for the Game Boy camera depending on the amount of light that it has because it changes the ISO effectively. So I took all of that. I took a television, a a VCR, a Super Nintendo, 
a, a Super Game Boy and a Game Boy camera and put it onto a dolly attached to <laughs> a big, long extension cord outside and did all of my filming outside. The film that I made was a film called This Computer Detects Emotion. It was based on the fact that I had a friend who's actually getting married this weekend, this friend who was working on a like a, an engineering project a computer science engineering project for the school that was kind of a government face recognition software project. And I thought, man, I'm a college student who is fairly liberal. Let's make a in-your-face film that like thinks about like what happens when a computer can detect emotion and recognizes faces. And it was just all my friends making various faces and then words appearing. But because it was going through so many like, you know, like the, the they'd make a sad face and it would say sad. They'd make a happy face, it would say sad. You know, like these things where it was like, ah, we can really see what what's inside. I had like one of my friends and it said terrorist, you know, because it was two thousand and four or something. Uh because it was through so many different layers, the film like came out looking really artificial and computery, and I was I was very into that. Uh, so it was a very strange because I had to rip from VHS to digital uh, to 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 put it into Final Cut Pro and to make the film. I was very very happy. Right, and then encoded into extremely low quality real media. Exactly. <laughs> so did you? If you had the TV and the Game Boy camera, you could do the. The Doctor Who point the camera at the I, screen thing. I could and did. Uh, it was funny. That. Yeah. That, that, that ended up in the movie. No, no, it was only faces. But you can you can do a lot of weird stuff with that. I, I if you you know nowadays it's much much easier to do all of that. I, I, I'm holding my analog pocket in my hand right now, which has a dock that allows me to just go directly from Game Boy camera to HDMI. Uh, <laughs> and I've used my Game Boy camera as a webcam. Uh, for Twitch, sometimes it's kind of fun, but it it's missing oh, that, that you know the like using a Super Nintendo as your video camera. Like it was very fun to hold a full Super Nintendo up to my friends' faces, you know, and they could see you know in the monitor what it looked like. It was really a, a very cool little a little device, but you could never do that in any way where it was any any way dark. Um, right, it I would just also, tank the frame rate exactly. Uh, and also the contrast would look, it just would look really, really bad. The Game Boy camera is very interesting. Did you know that it had an entire music synthesizer program on board? Oh yeah. I think uh, it was me and one other person on the, uh, the forum we met on actually, who <laughs> went, kind of went back and forth making little tunes and trying to loop it in interesting ways. Since it was just like a, it was a, like a 16 beat or 16 note loop you could do, but you could play, play with it in real time. Yeah, that project, that whole the Game Boy Camera project was was made by Hip Tanaka, wasn't it? He had a lot to do with it, the music yeah. and stuff. Uh, a company called Jupiter, who was a longtime Nintendo contract company, also known for doing a lot of the Picross games and stuff, uh, did a lot of the hardware and stuff on that too. I went to Coachella one time in my life, and I saw Beck on stage, and Beck pulled a Game Boy out and plugged it in and played. That with the synthesizer, he had made music and played that and sang over it. It was a very cool moment where I was mostly like, "That's a Game Boy camera." <laughs> and yeah, he didn't have he didn't have Nano Loop. That would have been too cool. <laughs> Nano Loop is built into the analog pocket, which is yeah, you know, that's funny. Yeah, wasn't LSDJ on there too, or am I thinking of something else? I don't know. LSDJ. Oh no, LSDJ is built into like the EverDrive or something like that. Ah, the Game Boy camera. Uh, also has like a couple things in it that are like built-in photographs of the developers and various folks where if you go to spots in the menu that like or press buttons in the menu you will see things where it will and it's the most horrific like 
these things just appear <laughs> where it says like you shouldn't be here are you feeling okay and it's just if you, you know you should google these like weird hidden messages within game boy camera it's a it's a wonderful weird insight into the weirdos that made it yeah that that menu is something else it's much of that warrior spirit there's there's yep. a lot of crossover there i know ne- we never did anything as ambitious me and my siblings growing up as you know hooking rigging it up to a dolly <laughs> or get a, getting all that equipment together mostly i don't think i could ever figure out a power source for that kind of thing but it does have that built-in stop motion animation mode and, yes. oh interesting and yeah i wish we'd recorded some of those onto vhs because that was pretty much the only way to preserve and I only had the one Game Boy camera. Mine's actually the gold Zelda camera, by the way. Ooh, the, the Nintendo yeah. Power limited one. So that's fun. I don't get images. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't get Pokemon images. I get Ocarina of Time stuff. But uh, yeah. God, that fucking gold cartridge. Like, that color and texture of plastic is so resonant with me. And it's so, like, there's no reason. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason. But there's no good reason for it. Yep. Exactly. It's a bummer that they don't like the gold cartridge thing. I think the last gold cartridge was the gold discs for maybe Wind Waker. Yeah. Maybe Twilight Princess didn't have a gold disc. I don't know if it did. But like, man, I own the Majora's Mask gold, like Lenticular and the and the Ocarina of Time gold, and like that was like a point of pride. I, it's a bummer that they've moved away from just doing that stupid thing that's unnecessary and making their cartridges gold. Yeah. Do you think it would? The Switch, if they made a gold cartridge for the Switch, it would also taste bad, but in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) More metallic. Yeah, exactly. Mine's metallic grape. (laughs) It tastes like the Master Sword. Yeah. They they pretty much just do that sort of thing with the hardware now. They give give it the little Zelda logo and and all that. Right, right. The the Animal Crossing-themed Switch that doesn't come with Animal Crossing. (laughs) (laughs) They knew they could sell it. Yeah, the money. I love Nintendo, yep, but they yep. love money more than they love me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. true. Yeah, are there any other like the one thing about the Game Boy Camera was that I vividly remember is it was in deep contrast. I forget which one I got first, but I remember there was another digital camera that I saw for around eighty dollars, which was a lot of money for me at the time, being a kid with no income, you know, except the annual, <laughs> the birthday and Christmas income. But it was but it was eighty dollars, low resolution. But it seemed like the coolest thing in the world. It came with some software. Um, the only thing is, it didn't have any internal memory and no way of adding it. No long term storage anyway. You could take like twenty photos, but the camera had to have power. And uh-huh. as I recall, there was there was no battery power for it. You basically had to have it tethered, almost <laughs> like a webcam, to your computer. It was called the Cool Cam. Cool. I, I may have to look this up. I may, be, so misre- cool. I may be, be misremembering some things about it, but there was de- a definite power situation. Um, it might have actually, it might have had battery power, but the problem is it had like a sleep mode that you couldn't disable. <laughs> and if it went into sleep mode, like if if it didn't detect any activity, and then pa- it would power down, and you would lose the pictures. <laughs> so I think it was. I think that's yeah. that was it. It had some flaw that was surmountable in theory, uh, except that. They sucked at designing it. Yeah, I mean, that's a extreme cost-cutting measure to, like, what is the essence of this project, of this product? Let's cut down all the extraneous stuff, like being able to take it outside yeah. or save pictures. Yeah. 
Like the like the Nintendo Lefty RX. Yeah, I was just thinking the, of that. <laughs> yeah, it was a very Nintendo move, come to think of it, except that the Game Boy camera was actually much better, even though it was only black and white and, you know, a postage stamp-sized picture. Right. I, I think the difference between, like, the Game Boy camera, I think, did what it... And Nintendo does a pretty good job of, of like, making something where they cut corners, but still it's very fun. But it sounds like with this camera, it's more like a grasp and reach you know their reach exceeds their grasp sort of thing like yeah, they just right. were like we want to put this thing out there but we're not going to build it in a way where it's going to actually be useful except in very niche cases and what i do applaud nintendo for is that even when they're like limited with the hardware or limited with the software or limited with you know the right hand turning of the car or whatever they still can make something that's really enjoyable because they do put a lot of thought into that into it being fun yeah or, or Yokoi did anyway. <laughs> right. Are we ready for another topic? Sure, why not? Yes. My topic is best Halloween candy, candy corn or pumpkin-shaped candy corn. Man, as a kid, I definitely would have said pumpkin-shaped, but uh, I think I'm leaning the other way these days. Yeah? I'm- you like like the one that, that looks like it could be one of your teeth that fell out? <laughs> I I think about candy like ratio a lot uh in terms of like size to amount and and like like surface area kind of and i am definitely a person who can eat more regular candy corn but the hit of one of those pumpkin shaped candy corns is pretty nice but then i'm not gonna eat a whole handful of those i'll eat one or two but i will eat a whole gosh darn handful of i'll eat more by volume of the regular candy corn because it just seems smaller and more like oh yeah i'm just having a couple but you know yeah, yeah. It, it seems like the is, is the thick one is the one that really it really fills you up. It satisfies you. Yeah, this came up recently with someone I was talking to about uh, the best of the uh, Reese's cup sizes between regular, mini, big cup, etc. And I am definitely on team mini. I do. Th- I think that the chocolate to, to uh, peanut butter ratio is better than in a regular cup. I, I really think that a mini is one of the perfect vehicles for sweetness. Uh, like, and it's just its size and the ratio of, you know, like surface area and peanut butter chocolate is ideal. Yeah. I also think that like, I don't know if you've ever tried uh, the, the fancy peanut butter cups that are like the organic ones with dark chocolate that have real peanut butter yeah. instead of whatever... <laughs> processed crap is in the peanut paste or sugar peanut flavored sugar paste and it's just it just doesn't work like you actually want that processed crap like that's that's the experience yep and by the way i i want to i want the listeners to know i didn't stack the deck here i expected at least one of the guests would push back on the candy corn thing apparently (laughs) apparently everybody here likes candy corn which is weird (laughs) i think it's like like clowns at this point where like i'm just tired of people being candy corn naysayers and like just like people who are immediately like i'm afraid of clowns like come on (laughs) we've had the internet for you know 40 years now like we we all understand that clowns are scary we all understand that candy corn is wax it's delicious wax (laughs) it's delicious wax unlike wax lips it's what you want wax lips to be yeah yeah sure (laughs) do they even make wax lips anymore they have to. I I think that there's got to be a novelty supplier out there who makes wax lips. Were those were those ever even edible? Because I ate them because I was a kid and I didn't fucking. <laughs> know, but I think you can. I don't think that your digestive tract is like super excited about it, but I think you, that they are edible. Otherwise, they would not be something that would even allow you to put near or around your lips like that. That is true. I I guess I meant were they intended to be eaten, but <laughs> clearly no. Now that I think about the flavor, 
They were sweet, weren't they? Yeah. 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 Okay. So we've just we found the worst Halloween candy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would consider candy corn the best Halloween candy. It is a, a Halloween candy that I I'll enjoy grabbing a handful of them. I am I'm a person who divides his loyalty between M and M's and Reese's cups. Uh, I think those are those are my you know those little bags of M and M's are just like a ah I'm, I'm a big M M&M and M man. Yeah, if if someone were giving out finished salty licorice, there we go. That would be the best. There's, Halloween there's the candy. other thing that keeps coming up when I'm on. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, when you were talking about the candy corn pushback, I was like, oh, well, I'm the weird bastard who's already expressed his love of black licorice in particular, and salty black licorice yeah. in even more particular. So on Amazon.com, there are eight thousand results for wax lips. <laughs> See, <laughs> Amazon. If it's not here. Why would you want it? Are they uh, are they in the confection section or some other some other fetish or something I'm un, unaware of? Uh, they I mean they they look to me like you're supposed to eat them. Okay, <laughs> you gotta eat them. Wax lips, you gotta eat them. <laughs> lips, you eat them. Is it the time of the show for anti plugs? <laughs> sure, yeah, go for uh, it. I want to anti plug wax lips. <laughs> don't eat them. <laughs> John B says wax lips. Don't eat them. <laughs> you eat with them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. Really, okay, I'm looking at the topic, and I was like, "Is this a dichotomy or no?" Best Halloween candy in general. I mean, candy corn is the Halloween candy, but is it the yeah. best Halloween candy? I'm willing to entertain other options. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think of the other categories. You know, I. I actually. I remember thinking as a kid that Smarties were like trash candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our Canadian listeners, this would be the American Smarties. Yes. So the one that's just like a powder that's been glued into yep. a disc. Yeah. Yep. A little puck of of flavor. Yeah. Of um, sugar. It always seems like the cheapest trash, but uh, like you were saying, it's like, I want the garbage now. Yeah, they rule. They yeah. rule. It's, Smarties it's, are so good. Smarties are basically like a pixie stick that's been hardened, you know? Yeah. Right, right. Someone stepped on the pixie stick and now it's flat. It's it's just sugar and it's very tart and mm-hmm. yeah, it's like I wouldn't want a whole bag or whatever, but I, I appreciate them at that time. The candy that I enjoy that I think gets the most uh, annoyance on the internet is those weird flavored Tootsie Rolls. I think they're awesome, especially <laughs> vanilla flavored Tootsie Rolls. So that is the most – that's the closest to wax lips of any other candy is Tootsie Roll, especially the flavored Tootsie Rolls. And I just like – I think they're great. They're the thing that when people are like, ugh, I'm like, yes, me, 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 please, please, please. I didn't realize there was a virulent opposition to that. I've only heard people think that it's gross. I uh, don't think I've ever heard. I think actually, I think this is the first reaction I've heard to novelty flavored Tootsie Rolls. I think that I've just been disinvited from the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't invited you yet. Exactly. So. Yeah. Invitation retracted. I know the pumpkin shaped candy corn. Like those used to be my kind of my favorite because a lot of the time you could you could get candy corn year round, but you couldn't get really get the pumpkin shaped candy corn. It seemed like. And also they were those right. dense little flavor, you know, those dense little flavor blasts. But even as much of a sweet tooth as I have, um, I do have to kind of like pace myself with it. <laughs> now, sometimes right. some things are some things are too much. I am discovering that, yes, I am getting older. And yes, some of the more intense experiences that included are just a bit too much for me. Or like, I can handle them, but I don't prefer them anymore. I just found on American Oil and Gas Historical Society or AOGHS.org, an article called The Oleaginous History of Wax Lips. <laughs> yeah, leave, the person leave. who wrote that 
definitely understood the deliciousness of wax lips. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't have used the word oleaginous. <laughs> the most the most edible petrochemical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dinosaur bones right to your mouth. Do you remember the cream? The uh, blah blah blah. The string cheese that was called dinosaur bones. I did not remember a string cheese Whoa. called dinosaur bones. A flavored. No. It was a flavored string cheese. You could get it in fruit flavors. Let me see if... I'm ready. My mouth is ready for this. String cheese. I guess I shouldn't be. I was talking about how much I like fruit-flavored Tootsie Rolls. Listen, you're allowed to have... You're you're allowed to think some trash is delicious (laughs) and other trash is gross. Okay. That's just part of the human experience. And raccoon experience. (laughs) That too. I have a whole garbage food topic and it's not this. Some other time. Some other time. Okay. Yes. Oh God! You put a picture of a wow. bag, an empty bag of dinosaur. Yeah, bones. It's empty. Where's the? St- well, I can't eat this because it's empty. Yeah, it's the one thing Matt from Dinosaur Dracula hasn't got his hands on preserved. I guess. I was about to say this sounds like a dinosaur Dracula thing, where he <laughs> raises a thousand dollars for charity to eat it, and you realize he should not put his body through that. That's right. But it did. Let's see. Yeah. I'm, I can I pay even more for him not to exactly. eat it? Please, please don't hurt yourself. But he did post an ad about it, so. The flavor of this, for the listener, is Bananasaurus Rex, because uh, everyone who makes something that is flavored and dinosaur-themed needs to use Bananasaurus Rex. Right. Are we ready for another topic? Yes. I think so. For this topic, we're going to be reading the poem Icarus by Edward Field and discussing it. Who would like to read the poem? I would. It's one of my favorite poems. All right. I suggested it. It's by Edward Field, a poet who uh, was born in the 20s, still living. I really like this poem, except it also screwed me up in the head. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I'm going to read the poem now. Only the feathers floating around the hat showed that anything more spectacular had occurred than the usual drowning. The police preferred to ignore the confusing aspects of the case, and the witnesses ran off to a gang war. So the report filed and forgotten in the archives read simply, Drowned. But it was wrong. Icarus had swum away, coming at last to the city where he rented a house and tended the garden. That nice Mr. Hicks, the neighbors called, never dreaming that the gray, respectable suit concealed arms that had controlled huge wings, nor that those sad, defeated eyes had once compelled the sun. And had he told them, they would have answered with a shocked, uncomprehending stare. No, he could not disturb their neat front yards. Yet all his books insisted that this was a horrible mistake. What was he doing aging in a suburb? Can the genius of the hero fall to the middling stature of the merely talented? And nightly Icarus probes his wound, and daily in his workshop, curtains carefully drawn, constructs small wings and tries to fly to the lighting fixture on the ceiling, fails every time and hates himself for trying. He had thought himself a hero, had acted heroically, and dreamt of his fall, the tragic fall of the hero, but now rides commuter trains, serves on various committees, and wishes he had drowned. There's not a single thing about fighting Medusa angels in there anywhere. Well, that's that's Kid Icarus. <laughs> you thought we were away from Nintendo, and I brought it back. <laughs> He's adult Icarus. This is well after Myths and Monsters, John. <laughs> He's just an eggplant permanently in this poem. Yeah. <laughs> I read this poem first in, in high school and, and, and wrote like a high school essay about this poem. And it was a thing where I like now that I am an adult and – you know, have a gray respectable suit and, you know, I'm aging in a suburb. I like see it from, you know, like from both sides now, essentially, to quote Joni Mitchell. It's like a very interesting thing to read as a child and think about like doing something, having it be your glory, but failing at it and then like spending the rest of your life agonizing over it. For instance, if you had made a Super Mario Brothers video in graduate school (laughs) that then you (laughs) could not 
escape from, right? You nightly in your well, that workshop. Was a, that was a tremendous success. That was there was no failure there. <laughs> I guess, I guess success is a very interesting definition in your head. Um, well, there's a lot to th- to think about in this poem in terms of what people consider a, a failure and consider life and failure in life, right? And you know, th- this this last couple lines about riding commuter trains and serving on various committees as like a negative is just an interesting thing because I think the majority of us. You know, we live lives that maybe sometimes we think are failures, but aren't. I don't know. I I, I like yeah. this poem a lot. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I feel resonances in my own life where you know I've I've got this history as like someone who had a big success. Uh, I, I Frog Fractions was a big hit, and lots of people played it and liked it. And then I followed it up with much less successful, by some definitions, less successful games. Uh, and now I'm. I've got a day job and I have a kid instead of working on another Frog Fractions game. Uh, and so that, like, arguably that part of my life is over and I can look back on it with, like, okay, there were good times and there were less good times, but even the less good times were still pretty good. And I actually like my current life a lot. I, I agree. I think that, like, it, we think of ourselves as human beings as, as having to continue to do a more and more amazing things, right? Like continue to release amazing albums, continue to make amazing films, continue to make. And like, I think that there's something to be said about hitting a point in your life where you're like, I am actually incredibly satisfied with the people and the life that I am living right now. And I do not need to one up myself or one up anything. And I, I, I think that this poem directly confronts that idea. Yeah. 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 Structurally, I think this is interesting because it's an example of a poem that's just a short story with extra line breaks. <laughs> it's my favorite type of poem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who needs rhyming? Rhyming's for chumps. Just give me things where it can just sound like I'm just saying it all as one sentence. Yeah. How often how often do you pour over it and wonder why was the line break there? What what was the true what was the uh the, the metric for deciding that's where the line break belongs? I actually think that that and and I I've read a lot of Edward Fields. I have the 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 book that this this comes out of uh, in, in the room. I was going to go grab it, but then I just found it online instead. Uh, and I've read a lot of his poem, and I I do think that he does actually think about where the line breaks go. I there's a a poet Melissa Lozada Oliva. She uh, lives in New York, and she writes poetry where she it's very similar in that it's kind of like a short story. But I can definitely tell reading her poem, reading these poems, that like there is something about putting a line break there just for like highlighting, like in this poem, concealed arms that had controlled huge wings. Like then there's a line break. It's it's the end of period essentially. It's the end of a sentence, but the line break there allows you to really focus on this idea of controlling huge wings before we move on to another topic. It's something where you can tell some authors are just like, well, this is where a line break goes because it needs to go. And when I write poems, that's kind of what happens. But often you can tell that there is a reason there. Melissa's poems, she has one poem that the line breaks allow it to be read up and down, backwards and forwards. So that like if you were to go and read it, the bottom lines up, it would scan correctly, which means it's, a lot of thought has been put into that poem as well. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, that like, you know, poems are like any art. They can just be so open to anything and i i i love poetry that rhymes and scans and you know your iambic pentameter but i also really like when a poet kind of says what can what can i make into a poem even a short story even you know a paragraph yeah yeah i mean it is kind of a short story but it's also but it's a very it is more open-ended than that it's very an event has happened 
nothing actually happens in the story itself, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're looking at the aftermath, and then it's all internal after that. And there's the, the the listener cannot see this, but if you go look at the, the the poem, it has three kind of paragraphs that that like are the kind of act one, act two, act three of of the poem, and the last two lines, which is the serves on various committees and wishes he had drowned, are their own separate two lines, which is really where it hits home the kind of you know the sadness of this character. I, I don't know. I I, I think. That you know, it it is a poem that that makes me think a lot. Does a lot of has a lot of very intricate, intricate ways of saying things, uh, and and I do think that the author thought about where where line breaks went. Yeah, I just realized also I was zoomed in, so I was getting unnatural line breaks in the uh, <laughs> oh god in the poem. So I, so I zoomed out. That my whole that's how you turn any prose into a poem. Yes. Yeah, I mean the, you know that is a technique people have used is those kind of stochastic cut up and things like that. I yep. really like the term unnatural line break. <laughs> yeah, come to think of it. <laughs> As opposed to the natural line break. It's found in nature. Yeah. This poem reminds me, I've, I've heard a lot of talk lately uh, with the, you know, the way people's, <laughs> the American dream has changed and things like that for a lot of people, where it used to seem like all all the media we consumed or whatever talked about, you know, this death of, the death of creativity and like getting a boring job that's kind of like the end of your life and there are so many movies agonizing about that like poor me i have a job and health insurance (laughs) (laughs) if i could find a job that was just useful work that had to be done and (laughs) yeah (laughs) provided stability that's actually Mm -hmm. pretty okay yep well i think what that tells you is that people will always find a way to be sad yeah <laughs> like you look at you look at movies from the 90s where in the matrix or in fight club where people are really angsty about their their cushy office jobs yeah. it's like it, it it turns out like you, you're just going to feel what you're going to feel and you're going to find something to attribute it to but that's not necessarily the cause of the feelings yeah yeah no matter where you go there you are mm-hmm it's the essence of counterculture is, <laughs> is, you know, what is the thing that people are doing and how can you say that that's actually bad? And then eventually that, you know, like it's, if you look at the office life in a, say, you know, in the matrix versus the same type of office life as presented in say, like Silicon Valley or whatever, right. Where people are riding around on scooters and there's, you know, granola and being served and sodas and stuff. Like it's all counterculture, even though it's a very different office environment, I mm-hmm. I I think that I grab onto this idea of him saying that you know people with neat front yards and living in a suburb and like I think that I don't know it's it's great I not that I have a neat front yard I live in Arizona where there's no front yards but uh like well, I guess there's yards there's just no grass uh like I think it's I think it's something to, that like is not so bad yeah yeah I like I like the the line too about you know a tra- this heroic tragic death imagining that kind of final act is more glorious than actually continuing to live on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely should have died before shipping frog fractions too. <laughs> think of that. Think of how cool that would have been. It would have sold so well. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's speaking of Icarus and the Icarus myth and stuff, uh, have either of you seen Brewster McCloud? Uh, I have seen a large portion of it. I have not actually seen the whole film. Okay. No, I, I don't know this noun. It's, it is, it is a Robert movie. Altman. Yeah. It's Robert Altman's follow up to mash. 
Uh, it's it's a very weird movie for somebody to to follow up Mash with, <laughs> but it's but it's about uh, you know somebody who is attempting to fly using a flying machine. Uh, it's about a lot of other things, of course, in the middle of all that. And there's a great... fly in the Houston Astrodome, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, they actually he's it's, like a teenager. Yeah, it's finally on uh, s- streaming on HBO Max after being just kind of an on-demand DVD Blu-ray thing for a while. Is it Bud Court who plays the child? Yep. Okay. Yeah, Bud Court. It's uh, Shelley Duvall's film debut, I believe, too. Hi, I'm Shelley Duvall. Hi, <laughs> I'm Shelley Duvall. Bringing it back to the 3DO now. <laughs> uh, there are people who are really big fans of it. Uh, for instance, the Blank Check podcast, Griffin Newman, is uh-huh. one of his favorite films. And that is one of the reasons why I would want to watch it is because I've heard him talk about it ad nauseum. Uh, yeah, I was intru- I was introduced to it. Bill Hader had it as one of his picks on uh, uh, the Turner Classic Movies guest programming thing. So that was that was a treat when it was like really unavailable to see regularly. Right. I will put it on my list of things to actually watch all the way through. It it's definitely you know a retelling of Icarus kind of <laughs> in a way, and the Wicked Witch is in it saying saying a slur. So that's great. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> playing playing an evil character. That poor lady. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? I think that sounds great. I think so. Are we going through the topics too quickly? I don't know if I, I this is my first time and maybe, you know, we should. No, be- no, we're good. Okay. We're, 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 I don't think we're going to make it through all seven. Okay. Oh, uh, John, your topic is Douglas Hofstadter. Yeah. Speaking of poems that you can read uh, one way and then the other way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so have either, have either of you read Go- uh, Gödel Escher Bach and Eternal Golden Braid? Yes. Have either have either of you white nerds on this podcast? <laughs> so I read I Am a Strange Loop. Uh-huh. And then I went back and started to read uh Gertel Escher Bach and was like, this is just I am a strange loop, but less but more confusing. <laughs> it's like the same book but like less coherent. But that was the one that won uh what did it win a Pulitzer? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I am a strange loop is very of uh, I mean, he says it at the beginning. It's very deliberately a follow-up to to get at the heart of what he was trying to do with GEB. Right. So, yeah, uh, Douglas Hofstadter is a uh, prof- professor of cognitive science, a cognitive scientist who started out started out in mathematics, but then got interested in that, and is obviously interested in a lot of things because in GEB he's interested in a theory of consciousness and what does it mean to be conscious and where does it come from. It's it's the strange illusion essentially, you know, created from physical processes in his view. Yeah. And but GEB is festooned with it tries to tie it together. I mean, you have the three central care personages who uh <laughs> man, I am tripping over myself. It's been a while since I've read the book. But, you know, Kurt Girl, the mathematician who exploded mathematics by proving that there are things you can't prove that are still true <laughs> in mathematics, essentially. Which is a highly technical argument, but I think he does a good job of, you know, expo- explaining the broad strokes before getting into the nitty gritty. And then the art of M.C. Escher, which turned frequently turns back on itself and refers to itself. And then uh, the music of Bach. And, you know, the, you mentioned the title, I Am a Strange Loop. At the heart of his idea of consciousness is this idea of strange loops, that things get weird when they start talking about themselves in any way. Or could be, or could be made or encoded to talk about themselves. So a lot of the, a lot of the book is just exploring all the strange ways things can talk about themselves, and so you can see why in the original it kind of gets lost in the shuffle because 
it's laid out logically and everything, but there's just so many separate topics that are that are being linked together. Yeah, it is a yeah. book that is not. I'm just going to read a little bit of here and there before bed kind of book. Uh, yeah. I mean, it kind of starts out that way. And there are bits and yeah. pieces of it you can take on your own. I, I mean, I've heard about it from a, a friend was reading it in high school. And then later that year, my teacher gifted me a copy because I was also her TA. And I still have that copy. So that, that was one of those interesting coincidences. And of, of course, a coincidence happening with that book. How could, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a delightful thing. I always get it uh, mixed up in my head with... Um, that BS book by Douglas Wolfram, the new kind of science that's like just this weird oh. garbage book that like people hold up as like this. I, I should not uh, – if someone here is listening, if if Stephen Wolfram is listening to this, I apologize for maligning your book. Uh, but in my head, there's just like – there's a series of books that are like – I'm going to try and encapsulate a lot of science and physics into something you can read. But I think that GB is the fun one, the the one that like does a pretty good job, whereas a new kind of science is – the one that people have pilloried. Yeah. Well, it, in GEB, I remember being struck by, you know, he's Hofstadter was clearly one of those people who was able to take high ideas and kind of boil them down and make them fun. He's in love with language, obvious, yeah. you know, and that's obvious going through. And like codes within the book and like things that when you cipher it in like anagrams, there's like a whole genre of, you know, stretching back to your Lewis Carroll's of like, and probably even, you know, farther back, obviously, but like these people who, who who are really into the idea of language and and thinking about philosophical mathematical ideas, and then saying how can I how can I make a story that weaves this together? Yeah, you know, in an eternal golden braid, uh, for for the masses. And I think that GEB is very successful, but also it is not. You know, it is it is something that like you should treat as like a mountain, like you should get ready to climb it. Or you could just read I Am a Strange Loop, yeah. which is just a fun read and conveys the same information. <laughs> Except for the part where his wife dies. That's a... Uh, Boo. That's, I, th- I think he handles it pretty well. but <laughs> Yeah, that's that's less that's, fun. That's the less fun part. But yeah, I, I haven't read it since I actually graduated from with math... In mathematics. But he but he turns that into like, here's a way you can cope with death. Which is yeah. good. Yeah, which is useful for people. Yes. Godelet Scherbach is also fun, speaking of self-referencing, in that it takes a while to read it, and it talks about what is now called Hofstetter's Law, which is the law that says it always takes longer than you expect, even when you take into account Hofstetter's Law. Yeah. And I just think that's really fun <laughs> to think about reading this book. Because yeah. it does, it is something that like, I, 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 I started it reading it and then I came back to it and then I came back to it and I came back to it and you know I found other things would distract me uh, because it is it is dense and it walks around from many different perspectives and storytelling styles and but some of the best books they do that and yeah I, I think it is a very very good book yeah most of you know it's just delightful even if you're not getting half of it until about like the last I don't know twenty percent of the book where he really gets into the nitty gritty he puts it off as long as he can but uh, <laughs> if I remember correctly yeah but uh, you know a lot of the things you can show isolated, even though they build up over time, are the dialogues he does, right? Which was in the style. Who was he aping? Was he aping Plato? I yeah, I think so. Plato, the dialogues between yeah, the tortoise yep. and, so- and Socrates, or no, Achilles, Achilles. That's what it was. Oh, Achilles and sorry. the tortoise. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. From the famous paradox. How could you? <laughs> can we cancel this whole thing? I can't believe you. <laughs> it's been a while. I know it's sitting here next to me somewhere. It's late. I had a long uh. day. But yeah, those are delightful, and particularly the one uh, I would highlight if if people are just kind of zoning out on this conversation. If you look up Crab Cannon, that's C A N O N, 
like the musical figure. Um, that was what my friend showed me that kind of blew my mind. And, and like Kevin alluded to earlier with that, that one poem, you can read it one way. And then if you read it backwards, it's uh, essentially the same thing with kind of some tweaks and stuff. And if you are a person who wants a slightly easier, like kind of fun mathematical thing to tackle, uh, I, my secondary recommendation is Martin Gardner, uh, who is a mathematician who wrote uh, and magician who wrote uh, a bunch of articles for Scientific American. And uh, it's only tangentially related, but I just when I think about GEB, I also think about a lot of Martin Gardner's writings where he wrote a bunch of really wonderful books about like mathematical puzzles and mathematical oddities and, and the weird way the math works. Uh, and I really enjoy these two books that are called Aha Insight and Aha. Uh, I have that one, I think. Yeah. I have one gotcha. of the two. The other one's called Gotcha. Yeah. yeah I have, I have one of the two. They're both fantastic. Uh, and, and like a lot of, you know, my own way of thinking about math comes from that. Uh, comes from, you know, Martin Gardner's really easy to read understanding of of mathematical puzzles and infinity and and geometry and topology and stuff. Yeah. I I just want to point out that if you search YouTube for crab cannon with two ends, <laughs> you don't like I'm I'm like four pages in and I haven't seen a single cannon that shoots crabs. Oh, boo. It's all it's all the music. It's all the the Bach composition. We we've got to get to Doug and tell him. He would do it probably. <laughs> he would do it in a way that would tie it back in. I yeah. googled, and on the first page was the Wikipedia entry for the Crab Canyon. The Crab Canyon was a large piece of artillery fielded by the Corps and Isolation League and the Confederacy of the Independent Systems in turn in their battle with Mon Calamari and Republic forces. A giant aquatic walker with crab-like legs that could climb even vertical underwater cliffs. So, and that was my fault for for going right to the video. <laughs> yeah, Martin Gardner is more than tangentially related because when uh. When he stepped down or quit doing mathematical games in Scientific American, they handed the column over to Douglas Hofstadter. Hey, there you go. Yeah, who renamed it an anagram, Metamagical Themas, which... (laughs) (laughs) Mathematicians love their anagrams. Yes. And uh, uh, actually, those are collected in a book, which which I've had for some time as well, which is probably easier reading. Uh, It's fun because there's a lot of fun things in it. Uh, that, That whole book could probably be its own topic, too. There's contemporary articles about the Rubik's Cube because he took over when that was a fad. So huh. over a couple of articles, you get to you kind of get to watch the theory develop. Oh, that's cool. Which is which is abstract algebra, which is uh, not as hard as it sounds, but probably harder than <laughs> the general audience would like to, to do. I don't know. I don't know you. Go ahead, <laughs> take a look. It's in a book. Um, yeah. But there there's also a lot of a lot of the early articles in that book are about uh, nonsense and meaning and words and stuff. And there's some very fun things. Um, because it was a magazine column, a lot of his friends and other readers sent things in. So you get a lot, it, it casts a wider net than uh, GEB even did. Uh, in particular, if you look up some of the stuff uh, that uh, David Moser sent into that column, there are some delightful things. In fact, there's one thing that's not technically a poem, but uh, I, might, I might reserve it for a future poem because. It has the rhythm of one. But was Hofstetter as big a fan of magic as Martin Gardner? Because Martin Gardner also wrote books on magic tricks. And that is also a thing I find really fun. Like 
Uh, I have a friend who was a math major at college with me and then went on and taught math at Smith. And she and I learned a magic trick from a Martin Gardner column that was like a, you know, you, you, you pick a series of cards out from the deck and you hand them to your assistant. Your assistant looks at them and then puts one of them face down and turns the other ones over. And you can name that card that's face down based on the pigeonhole principle, essentially, uh, and like code encoding information in the face up cards. And I did it with my friend, the mathematician, uh, because I couldn't get anyone else to learn the code with me. And it was a <laughs> fun, a fun party trick, uh, because I go to real weird parties. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's a very weird way of saying that. I've read a lot of Gardner, but uh, not his, not any of his magic stuff. Yet. Oh, he, you should. He's, it's good. He's, he's like, He's not quite as Isaac Asimov in terms of breadth, but you know, if you if you had to pick like a runner-up, yeah, he's he's one of the people in the hat. Yeah, math's cool, everybody. You should uh, read about math. <laughs> fun fun stuff helps me do space stuff. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for topic lords. Yay. <laughs> Kevin, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so you can you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my name is Kevin Hainline, H-A-I-N-L-I-N-E, and the Twitter name is Kevin underscore Hainline. Uh, I mostly tweet about JWST because uh, a lot of people only follow me for that. Because you're sick of people talking to you about Mario. <laughs> well, it's mostly just that like, if I were to tweet the shit posting that I'd like to do, then um, people would unfollow me in the droves because they're like, no, stick to, <laughs> stick to space, stick to JWST stuff. Um, no politics. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but the other thing that I will I will also plug another place to find me is uh, I have an itch.io page because I've made a series of fun little dumb video games, oh. uh, and I I have some that I I really I wish more people played because I think they're they're pretty fun. One of which is called Stream Fraser Online Free, which is my <laughs> attempt to oh use Markov. I, think I played that. Oh. Uh, it's like a Markov chain game at the start, but then it becomes something more sinister. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, and I really enjoyed making that. It's like a visual novel sort of game. I also made a, a game for the Amazon Echo, but took it off the Amazon Echo because I don't support the company. But you can still play it with Alexa's voice. It's called Alexa Destroy Me. And you can find all these games <laughs> at rubikscube.itch.io. And Rubik's Cube is spelled like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> R-U-B-I-X-S-Q-U-B-E. Uh, and I'll I'll put it in the chat. Uh, but it has some games. And then the one game that I like that I think is a fun game is a game called Idiots Laughing, which is a two-player game that plays a little bit like if you had to play Twister with a friend on a keyboard. Uh, and it's, I think, an actually fun game. Uh, the other ones are are funny, I hope, but uh, but uh, it's been fun to do little games, and I, I, I'd like more people to play them. Oh, and also, I work on this space telescope, so look out for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Looking forward to seeing some of those images. Yeah. Uh, and, John, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on the Topic Lords Discord, as mentioned before. I'm also at you old so and so on Twitter. I think a few people have found me there. Uh, if you're lucky, you can find me in Southern California somewhere. Uh, but if you do that, I will probably freak the fuck out. So maybe don't. You can sleep on his couch, though. I've done it. This is true. It was a futon. <laughs> oh, sorry. We, futon. we do not have that futon now. I am in an apartment. There was no room for that futon. Good. You can sleep on the floor. Yes. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, of course. This was really fun. I appreciate you having me here to just ramble on about Nintendo, mostly. <laughs> I appreciate people talking more than me because I am tired today. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. 
If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!